and welcome to the I'm With Her podcast, a safe space to chat all things female. With me, Izzy, and her, Cal. We've got your back, so let's chat. <laughs> In this episode, we're talking boobs, butts, and bikinis, and discussing the risks and benefits of women-only mental health hospitals. Plus, there's a confession from me, and Izzy is going to make her 60-second rant debut, and I literally can't wait. Okay, so Izzy, before we get started, I want to hear all about your week. How's it been going? Fine, not much to tell. We are coming out of lockdown tonight at midnight, which is very exciting. Um, but um, I, all of my stuff's so miserable. I am PMSing pretty hard at the moment. Um, yeah, and I just I posted in the group this morning just about um, like just how much respect I have for women sort of going through their day-to-day lives whilst finding things really difficult like I find my resilience is low my irritation is up and then I spend the whole time worrying that when I respond to people I'm responding like angrily or badly and then that like adds to this like levels of shame and upset and it's just it's, <laughs> it's, it's just a vicious a spiral yeah definitely it's a and- vicious spiral I don't know about you, but um, I always feel like if I if I make too much fuss or I say too much about it, that I'm doing a disservice to women, that I'm not, you know, I'm not allowed to hide behind the, oh, well, it's PMS thing. Um, but in actuality, it's very real and, and it does have an impact. And I think the more that we demystify this and talk about it, the, you know, the, the easier it will become for women. Totally. And I am trying to talk about it more and just be more open about it. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't stop it from sucking a bit. Like, I don't want to feel like this and not not be able to do my job and all the rest of it so anyway so that's the miserable side but I did spend my entire day I spent a whole day I literally took an entire day out to learn how to use TikTok oh my god you're so young and youthful and impressive well yeah until I had spent this whole day and I was watching YouTube like clips on how to use TikTok and then the first video I see when I open the app is a joke about women in their 30s being on TikTok oh no I was like, the universe is being so cruel to me. Um, and it's about like, yeah, how we're all like, are we allowed to be here? Yeah, are, are we all right being here? Like, are we all right to be here? Um, so yes, anyway, that's, that's what happened. How about you? Because I think your week's been a little bit more intense than mine so it, it has been a difficult it has been a difficult week thank you Izzy um and you know one of the things that we're really trying to do with this podcast is to try and kind of open up these conversations about these difficult topics um I know that I've touched on my mental health um previously in a number of episodes in a number of ways uh, and especially in in the episodes in which I kind of talked a bit about my background um a few weeks ago uh, people who've listened to that will probably be aware that I I have PTSD and um, post-traumatic stress disorder um it's can sometimes be triggered if I'm honest and and when it is triggered it has fairly devastating effects on my health um I'm now in a position thank you therapy thank you friendly support um where I'm able to kind of get over those quite quickly um but when it happens it it does just it can just floor me it can floor me for days um on this occasion I I ended up having to talk about um a very minor car crash that I'd had a couple of years ago which unfortunately had kind of precipitated quite a major breakdown um just normal stuff I just had to fill in some forms and it was all very kind of 
straightforward but for some reason that unfortunately just sort of tipped me a little bit back over the edge um, and I kind of got caught in this spiral of uh, I couldn't really sleep um, because I was having nightmares and flashbacks um, and because I can't really sleep obviously that really winds down your ability to be able to cope with stress so then obviously it was also very anxious and very tearful um, and people go either way I think with with stress and upset and they either eat too much or they don't eat enough um, and I'm such a foodie as you guys have probably gathered because I talk about food quite a lot uh, so it's always a really worrying indication for me when I can't eat uh, and I, I just physically can't mm. get anything in my mouth. Um, so a couple of days of not being able to eat, which obviously really buggers up your blood sugar levels. You end up feeling quite fatigued, which then, you know, the whole spiral gets worse and worse. Anyway, to cut a really long story short, and the reason why I'm saying this is that I am incredibly lucky. Uh, I have an amazing support network around me and, and a great team of medical professionals that are helping me through this um and actually i i also wouldn't say because she's going to be embarrassed but i'm going to say it um uh-huh. izzy has been absolutely amazing over the last couple of weeks I've, I've flaked out of quite a few things or i haven't quite finished stuff the way that i should have done um and she's just been so kind and supportive and i can't tell you enough how much of a difference it makes when you feel that you know you, you can fuck up and somebody will still um still want to work with you and still care about you so thank you izzy you wonderful uh-huh. australian anglo hybrid um <laughs> no thanks no thanks needed like you're still absolutely incredible and it's um even when you're really struggling um you still i'm just in awe of your wonderful brain and how you work and all the joy you bring other people even if you're not feeling it yourself so with my um, my juggling and comedy hats is that what you're saying with your insufferableness (laughs) yes (laughs) nice um but you know (laughs) this is a really important point to say that if anybody listening to this either does suffer from anxiety or themselves you know recognizes some of the things that i've talked about or does in fact have ptsd um it can be quite lonely having conditions like this i know it's hard to talk about um i hope that the fact that i'm talking about it is helpful in itself but also if you ever want to talk either anonymously um or you want to reach out to izzy and i we are here and we're around and we we do want to hear your story so so let us know yeah absolutely absolutely well, um, I'm glad you're feeling a little bit better. Um, it's really good to connect with you and see you uh, on video. Almost and in real life. <laughs> yeah. One day, that one day. one day when we meet in real life, it's going to be like a slow motion, running at each other, slow motion movie moment. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. I'm so excited about this. So I want everyone to get their stopwatches at the ready because I will be timing Izzy. I won't forget. Um, Izzy is going to let rip with her first ever 60 second rant. Izzy, you have one whole minute to say whatever the hell you want. So go for it. My rant is about rich fucking billionaires going to space. Jeff Bezos launched himself into space the other day. He was flying for a total of 11 minutes, three of which he was actually in space. Each minute cost $2.54 million. This is a guy who's being investigated by Amnesty International to look into poor working conditions of his staff and his payment of unfair wages. There's also evidence that Amazon spent thousands of dollars on an invasive new technology system to spy on workers. Some workers who've actually raised concerns about poor working conditions during COVID-19 have faced a disciplinary action or 
have been fired. If that's not enough, this is the guy who, who evades paying taxes. Codswallop, I say. Not to mention that his dick rocket is burning the ozone layer, which I'd much rather like to protect if possible. Thanks a bunch. He chose to do it at the same time as thousands of people around the world are locked down, unable to see loved ones, dying of COVID, losing their jobs, tone deaf much. And to all of you who say it isn't a billionaire's job to feed the hungry, yes, it is. In the words of AOC, you don't make a billion dollars, you take a billion dollars. Yes, Queen! How did it go? How did you feel? Do you feel, do you feel purged of all your anger now? Oh, I feel like a little bit, actually a little bit shaky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, the adrenaline. For Dick Rocket, which is my favourite thing ever, I actually wanted to call this entire episode Dick Rocket. So we'll see. We that should. Works. That's the name of it. <laughs> yeah, Dick, Dick Rockets. Alrighty. So for our first segment, what women wear has been in the news again recently. This time around athletes and the ludicrous difference in standards between male and female dress code. Yeah, so this one was sparked by a story, actually now a couple of stories that have been posted in the group. Uh, the first one was about a Norwegian women's beach handball team. They had planned on wearing thigh-high shorts in a recent match against Hungary uh, to protest the sport's ridiculous, ridiculous sexist dress codes. Um, I'm going to tell you what the current dress code is, because I'm sure you'll love this. According to the International Handball Federation rules, women's bottoms must have a close fit, I'm doing bunny ears, and be cut on an upward angle towards the top of the leg so as well as the side width of these bottoms they also can't exceed 10 centimeters so basically tiny short shorts right <laughs> however the rules the same rules but for men state that their uniform needs to be a tank top and some shorts that can be longer and baggier than the women's shorts as long as they remain 10 centimeters above the kneecap so what you can see here is the difference between the men's uniforms and the women's uniforms is the women are wearing bras and pants and the men are properly attired for sport right the team that refused to do this was ultimately fined 150 euros each by the european handball federation um, for making this gesture and as a side note to this i think there was a bit of an update and i understand that the musician pink who is a legend has offered to pay for those fines so uh, I never thought I'd get to talk about handball and pink in the same sentence, but well I done know. you. <laughs> yeah. What an absolute queen. I think she just tweeted it or something, but I'd love to see if it actually happens because it's just a ball- baller move from her. Yeah, I love she's, it. She's awesome. Um, another much-read tweet actually said that the uniforms made players feel unnecessarily sexualized and uncomfortable and pointed out that playing in skimpy bottoms like that whilst menstruating would be potentially quite humiliating Mm. and just really difficult and uncomfortable um not you know we've already mentioned the double standards for men and women which just to me negates any kind of argument that this is for performance purposes which you can exact guess that's exactly what someone's going to try and say oh 100% but it isn't just about handball is it I mean we're talking about this kind of particular incident but actually this goes to a much bigger issue and I want to know Izzy I don't know whether you can tell me why female athletes are expected to wear such skimpy outfits Um, they don't seem overly practical uh, and they certainly show far more skin than their male counterparts so tell me why why do women wear such skimpy outfits in professional sport (laughs) well I wonder if it's just about the people who are making the rules hey Mm. um It seems pretty simple. Uh, It makes me feel really uncomfortable to say, but uh, there is common knowledge that 
uh, for a while women's sports don't bring in as many audience members as male sports. We know that is because they haven't been supported in in those industries for as long. Um, Often women don't get as much support, nutrition, uh, exercise, everything. So potentially, only potentially, their performance is sort of not as good as the men's team. But it's just because they haven't had support for a long time. So if people are trying to ramp up women's sport and they need sponsors and that sort of thing to do it, um, they need to give a reason to people to watch it. And what do people like watching? Or at least old grubby Uncle Phil in the corner there. (laughs) Sorry, Uncle Phil. Um, He likes watching uh, women in skimpy clothing. And with with shorts that are 10 centimetres above the knee and, uh, yeah, ten bra. Yeah, he's probably out there measuring it at the corner yeah. of the TV with his own... <laughs> Can I just... Do you actually have an Uncle Phil? Do we need to change this? There's no Uncle Phil. Oh, it was God. just... Okay. I'm sorry Fix to anybody's uncle, uncle yeah. who's called Phil. I'm sorry if you are Phil and you're an uncle. Oh, my not... God, I've actually just... I have an Uncle Phil. <laughs> oh, no. Hashtag not all Phil's. Not all Phil's. Just, just putting it out there. Um, so yes, um, this objectification of clothing and body makes it really hard for women athletes to actually be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Do these uniforms that seem to be more skin than material actually send the message that these women, who have trained really hard for their place, by the way, mm-hmm. are little more than sex objects and show ponies? And I think one of the funniest things about all of this, funny ha-ha, is that the pendulum has kind of swung both ways for women and both ways for particularly female athletes. And it's always ended up kind of giving us the shit end of the stick, which is also great. So apart, whereas now female athletes need to worry about their outfits being too revealing or too skimpy, in days gone past, they were required to hide so much of their body because of modesty standards that actually it's any wonder that they managed to compete in sport at all. And I would also argue that actually what we're talking about, about women being behind, in inverted commas, men's sports is probably because they've been trussed up for such a long time that they haven't actually been able to expand their skills in sport. I'm going to give you some ideas, um, some some examples of this. Um, so in, in the olden days, uh, back in the day, in the Olympics, in sort of the turn of the century, women were expected to wear literally head-to-toe dresses that had to go down to their ankles while they competed in sports. Can you imagine trying to play any kind of a sport in a, in a smock that covers your entire body? And one of the sports that they were expected to play in that outfit is ice skating. I literally can't think of anything more dangerous than skidding around on two blades while you're in a massive dress, right? So that was that was what was considered acceptable. They needed to be modest. They needed to be covered. Um, and then it's kind of gone the other way around. And and you know one of the other things that I sort of want to talk about here is the kind of the ableism behind these these body standards and these beauty ideals. Um, so for example, in 2012, I think it was a Paralympic world champion called Olivia Breen um, from Wales. Shout out to this side of the world. Told CNN that she'd been literally left speechless uh, after being told at the English Championships that her, her sprint briefs were too short and inappropriate. So women can't win. Sometimes they're not wearing too much. Sometimes they're not wearing enough. On this occasion, she they were too short. Um, she said that she went public with this exchange because she wanted to raise awareness of the unfair scrutiny that women face. And I think that's what we're talking about here. And she also noted that the briefs were specifically designed for competition and that she'd worn similar ones for years without any other complaints. So sometimes... 
women can't do right for doing wrong either they're too sexualized or they're not sexualized enough so not only are we kind of tackling these double standards when it comes to men and women but there are also double standards within that about the very kind of western beauty ideals and i do wonder had she not have been a paralympian perhaps she wouldn't have been judged so harshly on wearing the kind of ridiculously skimpy clothes that we now know most women are in most cases forced to wear in sports so i think it it raises some really interesting questions there yeah, and, and then we can also add, you know, racism to this as well. Earlier this year, um, FINA, I think you pronounce it as, which is the International Governing Body for Swimming, decided to ban sole caps, which are swimming caps which have been shaped to fit over and protect dreadlocks, afros, weaves, hair extensions, braids, and other thick and curly hair. So still, the Olympics is forcing everybody to fit these white body ideals, which um you know we see in aspects of the world too this is racism and white supremacy showing up in sports mm. um these caps are needed prote- to protect the hair of of the women that wear them so without them it leaves black women the choice of either shaving their heads or not competing at all and that's what's happening they're not competing and um it's not allow it's not creating spaces where black women feel invited and supported into and that's the issue and what excuse did fina give they mm. said the caps are unsuitable because they don't follow the natural form of the head it's archaic yeah. um so i think we need to do more to level the playing field <laughs> Oh, sporting pun. I'm loving it. Oh, my God. We really sound like we know what we're doing. (laughs) So I actually, um, I want to give an example of something that I think is quite wonderful. I want to talk about... um, tennis 70s tennis superstar Billie Jean um so this was considered very scandalous at the time she wore during her very very famous battle for sexes match which I'll go into in a minute but she wore a sleeveless top and short skirts decorated with rhinestones um so basically she got challenged by a tennis player called Bobby Riggs um to play a game of tennis against her basically that guy was or is I don't know a sexist douchebag and basically said that Billie Jean King one of the greatest tennis players of all time could not beat him because he had a penis so she said hold my rhinestones let's play she challenged him to a battle for sexes put on her shiniest outfit her shortest skirt and beat his sexist ass to within an inch of its life so I don't it's know why I've used this example other than the fact that I'm very very happy about it well done Billie Jean King you look I love it I'm gonna I'm going to dig out a few pictures of her as well and have a look at it. I think there was a movie made as well. I think there was. I haven't actually seen it. But yeah, you know, I actually found out about it while I was doing the research for this. And I've got to say, uh, full play to her. Well done. Yeah, absolutely. There is certain pushback in certain sports at the moment in regards to uniforms. And um, one of them that I think hit the news uh, in a big way this year was in April uh, Sarah Voss from the German gymnastic team. She wore a full bodysuit to compete in, um, rather than those tight, ouchy, vulva hugging. <laughs> vulva hugging? <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> I think so. Possibly vulva huggers. Vagina. Yeah, vulva huggers. Maybe that's, vagi- that's what they are. <laughs> vulva huggers. So, unlike the handball team, they weren't actually breaking any rules by wearing these long bodysuits, even if it's a stupid rule. But this is the first time we've seen. Um, a gymnast that isn't covering up for religious reasons. So it's definitely, um, they're making a point. Mm. But this does come off the back of a pretty truly terrifying uh, undercovering of sexual abuse in the USA gymnast team, which actually ended in uh, Michigan State University, uh, which is where the abuser 
um, was employed. I'm actually not going to say his name because why do we want to say his name? No. But uh, they ended up paying out about $500 million settlement to more than 300 victims. And uh, there was a huge documentary all about it on Netflix. And the story is very much about the power play between trainers and the the young gymnasts there. Um, And so this highlighted a serious, serious systemic issue. And I think that the sport's taken such a shakeup from this uh, that perhaps it's forced more attention onto finding steps that they can take to stop sexualizing women in sport. So you can't really argue with them at this stage. Um, but I do just want to pack this ever so slightly because I just want to clarify that girls wearing tight, skimpy leotards is not the cause of people to sexually abuse them. But what it does do is it sexualizes the girls. So it takes the focus of their performance and the focus is on their bodies rather than what their bodies are capable of. So this is what leads to women being at risk of sexual violence. So yes, we're talking about, you know, these um, archaic things and we're laughing about the various ways that women have pushed back. But this is way, way more serious than just what somebody is wearing. This really comes down to gender equality and the safety of women. Yeah, wonderful. You should have you should have ended feeling stronger about yourself. I love it. <laughs> Look, easy. Look, I'm a hundred percent. I'm all for any athlete wearing clothing that feels comfortable, that helps them with their performance, um, and at the very least, doesn't at least hamper them or, as we've talked about, humiliate them. Um, and I've got to say, we've talked through all of this, and I still can't find a reason why skimpy, uh, butt flashing, short shorts, or little bitty skirts are helpful to athletic performance. So, if less clothing meant a better athletic performance, then we would see men, male athletes, running around in teeny tiny thongs, no tops, they'd be wearing as little clothing as possible. And funnily enough, we don't see that. We don't see them wearing restrictive clothing where a ball might pop out at any point, because that's the fear, isn't it? Um, You know, I want to know what the difference is. Why is it that women are expected to take this hit and men aren't? True. And actually, either men would be running around in skimpy outfits or they would be banned because they'd be giving an advantage to people in their performance, which is the argument that they're using for the soul caps, that it will make people's heads more streamlined and therefore will give them a a distinct advantage when they're actually competing. So uh, basically, I think people are just using whatever rules that they can muster to Mm. fit whatever their agenda is. And it comes down to the fact that men have been controlling women's clothing and their bodies forever. As you mentioned before, women uh, used to wear long dresses to compete and now they're wearing skimpy shorts. This isn't about them performing at the highest level. This is about controlling them. Yeah, and meeting the expectations of men. Yeah, exactly right. And not allowing these black women to wear caps to protect um, their hair is just moronic. And it, it just goes to show how behind the times these big organizations are, like the Olympics, and how long it takes for these to change, even when maybe society is a little bit more progressive at this stage. I think it's just time that we need to start looking at solutions that where everyone can be involved. You know, mm. the Olympics are supposed to be the best in the world competing. But if we're preventing people from competing based on rules that don't really make sense, if you line one rule up with another rule, they, they do not make sense. Um, we're preventing people from competing and it looks to me that looks like you're squeezing people out of the competition that looks like you're setting yourself up to win the soul cap directors michael chapman and tox ahamed salawuddin said there's only so much grassroots and small brands can do we need the top to be receptive to positive change and so that's what needs to happen you know these these conversations that are happening in the world at the moment in the media in smaller organizations need to be taken seriously in the boardrooms of these bigger spaces 
I absolutely agree. And I, I think one of the things that, you know, we've really touched on in this and we talk a lot and, and the phrase gets used a lot about intersectional feminism, which is where we kind of see this um, intersection of things like race and gender uh, all coming together. And I think, you know, the, the example of this ridiculous um, swim cap issue is exactly that. It is both sexism and racism in one perfect package uh you know and and as he yeah. says we need to start talking about this and it's really important that we do talk about this on on grassroots level between ourselves we start to bring light to these subjects but it was also absolutely on the big bodies and on the big organizations to start to actually deal with this properly not pay lip service but actually start to get in there and start to deal with this absolutely um just another little fun fact here that when um questioned about the clothing rule in place for the handball team a spokeswoman from the International Handball Federation said, when they asked what, why the rule was in place, she said, we're looking into it. Which oh, is so just a huge cop-out. A huge cop-out. <laughs> cop okay, just to finish off, I have some other weird rules in the Olympics that I, <gasps> that I researched. Do you want to hear them? Yes. Okay. Water polo players get their toenails checked before they match so they don't, have, they don't scratch each other when they're playing. Oh, that's sort of grotesque. <laughs> Wrestlers have to carry a handkerchief to mop up all the blood. Oh, my God. I don't know where they put it. No, no. Well. Because <laughs> actually, I would say that male wrestling is one of the only areas where actually they do seem to wear as skimpy outfits as, as the women. Um, <laughs> this is true. It's very Nothing memorable. to grab onto. Yeah. It right? is. <laughs> a fun one is BMX riders have to tuck in their shirts. Oh, do they? So they don't Why? their mums. <laughs> like... <laughs> I know. Mom, I'm going up BMXing. <laughs> Tuck your shirt in, dear. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to the Olympics, Mom. God. <laughs> so <laughs> odd. Well, uh, loved that's it. it. Women in sport. Thank you to the community member who brought this to the group. It sparked a really interesting discussion and it sent me down a very pleasurable and also quite disturbing research rabbit hole. Um, Sexual. Yeah, right. Izzy, I want to talk to you about women's only mental health hospitals. Yes, yes. So this story um, is about Australia's first women-only mental health hospital, which will specialise in the treatment of depression and anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder and addiction, and offer gender-targeted therapies. So that's a lot to take in. It all sounds very exciting. Mm. I have two initial gut reactions to this when I found out about it. That my optimistic brain says this is really, really promising and really exciting push for women's health. So this could be used as a case study to to prove how women-focused treatment is in demand and to gain further funding into medical research for women. So that's really promising. This could change the world, yay. Yay. Um, But my cynical brain, you know, once I start unpicking it a little bit, says that, first of all, this is a private hospital, which um, comes at a high cost, and therefore is completely exclusive to the majority of the population. So that's bad. Um, Plus we know that many health issues get put down um, as mental health issues or chronic issues when the actual issue has not been identified. And this shows up particularly in women's health. My hope is that this hospital will listen to women, use research where women have been included in the studies and uh, lead with a really unbiased approach towards women's pain. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I too, I really want to think this is a positive move forward. I really do. And I know that part of my initial gut reaction was spending way too, ma- too much time watching kind of gothic horror because I saw a picture of the hospital and I'm not going to lie, it did look a little bit like a sort of <laughs> plantation, I think. But kind of, <laughs> yeah. You know, those, rem- those places in the 1800s, the insane asylums where they would send women to kind of get rid of them when they were inconvenient. So I, of course, and I promise this, I went down a research rabbit hole, um, this is my research corner moment so apologies everyone you can skip through this it'll only take a minute um it's quite depressing reading i'm not gonna lie but there are a number of um you can you can actually pull them up online and they are fascinating you can get the original kind of intake sheets from mental hospitals um as to why women were sent to insane asylums back in the in the victorian era and the turn of the century um so i'm going to give you some of the reasons that women were put into insane asylums in this time period and very often let me just be clear they weren't in for a few months or even a year they would probably spend the rest of their lives in these insane asylums so this is actually very serious but these are some of the reasons why a woman could be interred for life at a mental hospital back in the 1800s not getting periods getting too heavy a period masturbating swearing expressing and this is my favorite political excitement and also being too sexual or not being sexual enough so basically any time a woman didn't do something that a man liked they could have chucked them in a mental asylum um and 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 i say Mm. this with all honesty because of course at this point in history women had no legal rights they didn't have any choice over their finances over their health care over their their medical care so all that happened was that a a male member of the family and i'm not going to lie it is most often men putting women in these mental institutions in this time period is that they, they didn't even need a doctor. They just told a doctor that they thought that their partner or their wife or their daughter or whoever that female member of the family was, that pesky lady, they would tell them that there was something wrong with them and the doctor would go, oh, OK, and stick them in a mental institution and then that would be that. So very often this was used to, as I say, get rid of inconvenient women. So if, uh, for example, a, a wife wasn't creating a an heir get rid of them, get a new one in, it's fine because your mad wife's already in the hospital now. If a woman was too tricksy, too difficult, expressed too many opinions about things, get her in a mental hospital. So all of these things were used to punish women for for stepping outside of these social mores. So what I'm saying is when I first hear about women's only mental health hospitals and then I look at a picture of this place and it looks like a haunted plantation from the 1800s, it starts to bring up these kind of issues. But obviously what we do know is that this was a time period when psychiatry was really emerging. And of course, at that point, it was, as is often the case, expected to kind of stand up the social standards of the day. So there was very entrenched sexism in legal, in medical care um, and, and psychiatry as an emerging field was absolutely expected to prop up those social mores we know that that's really moved on we know that there are lots of amazing people working in these fields of mental health and actually some really amazing people working specifically on women's mental health and I think that was a really interesting a really interesting part of the post is that somebody came on and actually gave us a bit more information about the people behind this hospital can you tell me a bit more about that Izzy? Yeah that's right and um, it's being created with the support of um, Professor Kolkani and she sounds like she is a brilliant advocate for women. So she's exactly the sort of person we want behind this sort of program. Um, She's done uh, some really important research, including into the mental health impact of hormonal contraceptives, um, which you can find online for those who are interested. We'll drop it in the show notes. Um, She and her colleagues looked at the biological aspects of health as well as previous trauma, which is so important. 
in your words, Cal. Game changer. Game changer. Um, she works alongside endocrinologists and has an understanding that the women's hormones biology make their experience different to men's, which is exactly what has been lacking in clinical research. In fact, the less educated me when I was younger with all this... Um, dealing with all this competitiveness with men i didn't want to face the fact that we were biologically different and our hormones were different because women were sort of thought of as less important or smaller versions of men and it was bad to be different so i wanted to deny any of the facts about that but we've done that for too long now and that's actually the cause of a lot of issues of misdiagnosis of women or women not getting the right treatment because we're not taking into consideration the fact that women are different identifying how we're different and focusing on how we can make the most of that is absolute key i absolutely agree and you know and i think it is you know moving outside of the kind of the, the mental health uh, element of this i think it is a much wider question isn't it about is there a real need for better specifically female focused healthcare in general what do you think is is this a necessary move yeah totally true and that's right so this um just to be clear this uh hospital that we're talking about is focusing much on mental health right and anxiety and that sort of thing but it does open up a wider conversation around um all medical um healthcare for women so you know women make up over half the general population we play a significant role in the workforce and as we know statistically assume the primary caregiving role for children and other dependent family members so at the same time across the world many women experience low social status and value social isolation and poverty are much more common in women as is the experience of child sexual abuse domestic violence and sexual violence so these signals all point to the need for some mental health support I mean, I wish we could stop abusing women in the first place, but still, I think that's why it's really important why they're looking at previous trauma in regards to the treatment of mental health because uh, we need to look outside of just saying people are stressed. We need to look at where it's coming from. Um, So women need support, and it's why we need women like Professor Jayashri Kulkarni and their expertise to be leading these more tailored healthcare programs for women. I really hope this is potentially used as a case study in the future. And I think it's the most exciting thing about it is that um, it can be a controlled environment. So as I said before, the data can be collected. Um, and as we learned in our episode last week with Monica, um, Karpinski, data is essential to women's uh, moving women's health forward because we can use it to demand further funding and further research into women's health. So I feel good about this. Okay, it's time for Confess Thursdays. Brace yourselves. For those who don't know what this is, every episode we tell the world an uncomfortable truth about ourselves. And today, Cal will be ridding herself of shame and confessing before me. You are in safe. You are in safe hands, Cal. Do you know what? And I'm going to be 100% honest. I actually, I genuinely, of all the stuff that we do in the podcast, the thing that I get the most anxious and the most stressed about beforehand is the confessions. And I think it's kind of, it's it's a 50-50 thing. One, that um, over the course of, of the 11 episodes or 12 episodes that we've done um, of I'm With Her and I'm With Who, uh, I have given a lot of quite in- intimate information about myself out in a way that I normally wouldn't because I'm actually very private. Um, so I find, <laughs> my first confession is I actually find confessions incredibly stressful so I just want to I just want to make that put that out there um but I also do genuinely 
think it, it, it does really help people and actually what's really lovely it's quite a silly confession that I put out a few weeks ago uh, and somebody in the group kind of came back and commented on it and even though they themselves hadn't been in that particular situation they kind of really felt some ripples with their own life some understanding of kind of how they might behave in that situation um, and it helped them feel less alone um, so I'm very happy to do this today and I uh, as much as I am cringing already I'm really hoping that this will help somebody so I am approaching my 40s and I'm a mum of two. I've had two kids, which means that I have a certain amount of <laughs> a certain amount of urinary incontinence. Um, I'm sure many women, uh, especially those who, who may have carried children to term, um, will themselves have uh, experienced at points uh, a small amount of uh, urinary incontinence. Uh, I do find that if I laugh too hard, uh, jump too high, um, attempt to carouse with my children, uh, particularly on a bouncy castle or bouncy house for our Australian counterparts, um, a little bit of weed comes out. Uh, I am not ready to... I'm not ready to go to the tenor lady pads yet. I don't feel like that's where I want to be as a person. So obviously I've done a lot of research into this. So this actually segues into my second confession, which I haven't told oh, you about. I know. No. So one of the things that you uh, are told to do um, to help strengthen the muscles down there is to carry out your pelvic floor exercises, which many women here will be familiar with. It's that kind of, you know, that squeeze inside just to practice those muscles, keep them strong, keep them flexible. Second I'm doing it right now. Yeah, she's doing Oh, you can see she's <laughs> all face. You- <laughs> okay, so this is my second confession, right? I I absolutely, and I throw myself behind this, and I absolutely exercise my Kegels. Um, I can't actually just generally kind of sit there and just do them as Izzy's just done in front of people because, because I actually find... I actually find it weirdly arousing. Um, and- <laughs> it does feel good. It does feel good. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking that. So I end up kind of doing this really random sex face whenever I'm trying to stop pissing myself, which is a, a horrible confluence of humiliation and urination. So, so my confession is... One, humiliation I'm, and urination, right, that is the name. That's the name of the podcast. Dick Rockets, humiliation and urination is fine. Um, so yeah, to anyone listening today who themselves has a little bit of wee come out while they're having a good laugh or um, have tripped over or are jumping on the bouncy house, I totally get you. Um, apparently pelvic floor muscles are absolutely the best thing. There is also surgery that can be done and there are certain things that you can, uh, tools that you can use. You can go and see a th- physiotherapist. So there are lots of actual genuine routes to help fix that problem if it becomes an issue for you. Um, as I said, at the moment i'm i'm just practicing and not making a sex face while i do my pelvic floors <laughs> while i wee myself yeah well i, well, I have a little um wee. i i love that confession thank you very much for sharing ah. um i share this with you already myself and i don't have the excuse of pushing two kids out of my vagina i <laughs> i remember this one time uh, when i was about 18 at a house party and there was a bouncy castle there no, sorry, a trampoline there. And I loved showing off. So I was doing really flips. <laughs> I shock horror. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so I was doing backflips and somersaults and that sort of thing. And I didn't realise, but like every time I was bouncing, a bit of wee was coming out. Oh. I kind of knew, but I was like, oh, it can't be. And um, someone even pointed it out to me <gasps> afterwards. And I and was like, why are your tracksuit bottoms all wet? And I was like, oh, I think I sat in something. Oh, I actually 
honestly think your confession about my confession might be worse than my confession. <laughs> except the fact that I have tiny orgasms every time I try and practice my pelvic floor muscles. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like I want the tiny orgasm every time. <laughs> I don't really... I mean, I mean, I said I'm doing it now, but I actually don't know how to do the, the pelvic floor thing. Have you ever done like, Pilates or anything? Yeah, a little bit. Because yeah. I think they're like all of the kind of the core stuff and all that is quite linked in, isn't it? With all of those kind of are you are you pelvic flooring right Can't now? I, <laughs> I do look weird. My lower oh my back. God. Can we please put this bit of the film on, please? <laughs> she's like she's like slumped on the sofa with her head back. <laughs> this is too much for ten o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh, just just testing it out. Yeah, I need. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yes, I, it's terribly embarrassing. Um, but thank you for sharing because I actually, I bet you, people are going to be like, "I do this too. I do this too." And I've everyone's got your back. Good. I've got yeah. your back, and I'll be following Ter- behind with some tender lady pads if you need them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes just pop a pad on if you know you're yeah. going to laugh a lot. Just pop a pad in there. <laughs> yeah, if you're going on the bouncy house. <laughs> <laughs> let's wrap it up thank you everybody so much for listening once again um we had lots of fun i loved this one this is because of the piss this is because of the piss (laughs) it's just the orgasmic piss um (laughs) if you want to talk about wing and orgasming at the same time come into the facebook group we have all sorts of conversations like that (laughs) much more highbrow just to be clear (laughs) (laughs) sometimes um but yes, thank you. As Cal said, if there is a story that you would like to share yourself on this podcast and you want to come and spend a morning or evening chatting to us, uh, we would love to hear from you. We um, want this space to be uh, one that we create for women to share their own stories in their own words. So please do get in touch with us if you would like to chat. Otherwise, we will be in your ears next week. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Okay, bye. This podcast has been recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. We take inspiration from the rich history of storytelling within the cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and respect their endless resilience and strength.